Well, good morning once again. Sorry, I'm going to steal your, your notes, brother. I'll give them back to you later. If I don't, we won't be able to worship, and everybody's Christmas will be ruined, right? Absolutely. No. It's wonderful to have you here. Uh, we have a, a prayer that we've been praying for a long time as a church. I'm going to invite you to pray that with me. I know I need to be centered this Christmas season on what God is doing, so would you pray together? Father, unleash the power of the Holy Spirit to bring spiritual breakthrough in my life, in our church family, and in our community. Fill us with humility, unity, and passion. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. May the name of Jesus be held in high honor in all that we say and do. Amen. As God interacts with us, uh, we're trying to help people to understand that the Christmas story is one in which God is coming to us to help us to know what God is like, to help us to understand how to follow the Lord. And as Jesus then, the Word of God becomes flesh and starts to help us with our understanding, then in his death and resurrection, he enables us then to become a part of the full family of God as though we're adopted into the family. We were a creation of God. We're created in the image of God. There is that divine stamp of kind of divine DNA that you see in each other. But at the same time, we need to be kind of adopted in and really know God as Heavenly Father. And so this particular memory verse for this this season, it's been in the front of your bulletins. I wanted to kind of declare that together as well as we understand part of the, the whole point of the Christmas story. So let's declare this together. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1, 12. You're a child of God and you could, you could look down the row and say, wow, look at this family of mine. It's an incredible family, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You write out your Christmas list and pass it on down through and say, check when you decide what you're going to get me, right? Uh, no, we're not going to do that. But it's really good to have you here. If you're visiting from out of town, I hope you're right at, at home. Make yourself uh, a part of our family here because we love you. In the midst of this kind of Christmas season, our perspective on life and how we look at the world has been something I've been kind of thinking and praying about. Because the whole Christmas story changes the way that we view the world. And then let's kind of dive into that. So you're looking at me right now. The light is reflecting off of, my, off of my face. You're able to see me. I'm seeing you. One of the kids looked at me and said, Ah, what a scary looking dude, right? You know, it's like, oh my goodness, I get it. It's probably good that I can't get inside of your head and see me because I don't know what you're thinking right now. I don't know what you're thinking about. I'm just going to assume you're like, I can't wait to interact with God as we're here together. But I'm looking at you. And those of you that have been taking philosophy in school these days, philosophers now, it's a weird field. Because now they're saying things like, you can't absolutely prove anything. Like you truly can't. We can figure out what makes sense as an argument. We can de determine good arguments from bad arguments, those types of things. You can do mathematical proofs, but at the end of the day, when you're looking at the world, you're looking at it through your eyes, you're processing it in your head, and I can't really prove whether you exist or not. You think about that, and you're like, well, yeah, you know, I could come up and punch you in the face, Nathan, and you're going to say you exist, or that you exist. But at the same time, we've all been in dreams where we thought they were real, and then we woke up and realized they weren't real. This could be, in theory, 
according to some of our top philosophers and scientists, and so forth, this could be all a dream or it could all be piped into me as a little baby and I don't realize what's going on. It's a really freaky thing on one hand. On the other hand, it's a great time to be a person of faith because we're all kind of in this state of realizing, oh, wait a second, we're all looking at the world trying to make sense of it in our own minds and all of us are on this same equal playing field on that because we can't be absolutely certain that the way we're seeing things is the way that they are. Our whole social media culture has exacerbated this whole idea that we are the center of our own universe and we are the narrator of our story because now, you know, you could be kind of looking over here and taking a picture of yourself and, you know, hey, I'm here at church, you know, right? Which is obviously what all of you are doing right now to let everybody know across the world you're at church, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're like, okay, now as I post that, I'm showing that I'm narrating what you're seeing in my life so already I was looking through my own eyes and using my own brain to make sense of reality. Now I'm taking it a step further so that on social media I'm narrating for you kind of the way that I see the world and what's going on behind the scenes in my eyes. So I could become completely self-absorbed in this whole endeavor, couldn't I? I could be so self-absorbed that then when I'm putting stuff out on social media, I'm thinking about, hey, how is this going to affect other people in the way they see me? I'm now going to control the way that you see me. So what I post on social media is always going to be my successes. It's always going to be the exciting things. And then when you look at it, you're going to say, I sure wish I was Nathan, right? You're like, oh, yes, wouldn't that be exciting? Be pastor of a church? No, you know, no. But you, we all know people that as you look at what they're doing, you start realizing, wait, although social media could bring us together, some of what it does is drive us apart because now I'll never measure up to my friends that are traveling the world because I don't have the time and money to do that. And oh man, you know, uh, we just had a, a hard day as a family and no, you know, it wasn't going well and we didn't post a big picture of all of us like, ah, you know, you never do that, right? So you just assume that everybody's family is better than yours and everybody's getting along. It's even more complicated. Check this picture out. You ever seen this before? <laughs> our perspective. Our, you're seeing the world through your own set of eyes, and you may be absolutely convinced that the way that you see the world is the right way. And if I was on kind of the left side there and I'm looking at it, I would say, it's a nine. Obviously, I can prove it to you and I can write it all out. And yet the person, not in my eyes, but in their own eyes, they're looking at it going, no, it's a six. And you could have a knockdown, drag out fight, couldn't you? Because who's right? Neither one and both at the same time. You're both right and wrong, right? It's crazy. So in the midst of all that, then when we get into the Bible, no wonder people look at the Bible and they're like, I don't know, man, this is like a weird book. Because then you read stuff like this, in humility, value others above yourselves. And you're like, I can't even see from their perspective, let alone lift them up and consider them more important than me and serve them. And you know what I mean? Like it takes a lot of effort to see something from the other perspective, let alone raise them up and serve them. And it's bizarre. The Bible's picture for the way that we're to live out our life is so impossible that it took a supernatural event to help us to do it. In your relationships with one another, it says in Philippians chapter 2, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being the very nature of God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but instead, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Philippians is not Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Especially Matthew and Luke talk a lot about the birth of Jesus. Christmas season, you hear about that, right? Just heard Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. You're like, this is one of the letters of Paul. Like, this doesn't make any sense. It's not a Christmas story. Yes, it is. And you saw kind of the way that it puts it together. Jesus, word of God, became flesh, became a human, emptied himself, became the very nature of a servant made in human likeness. Made himself nothing. Verse 8 then we read, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Almighty God takes on human form, experiences the worst that human form has to offer, death. What kind of God would do that? Like, I thought God's whole job was to tell us what to do, right? Like, what good is it being God unless you can really tell people what to do, right? You know, and have people serve you and create servants for yourself. Like, what kind of God empties himself and becomes one of us? There's some level of service here and and sacrifice that's just mind-blowing. But then God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all other names that at at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And you get it, right? What would you do to, to an ancient king to show respect? One of the things you might take a knee and bow before God, the king, in heaven and on earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, just the absolute leader, to the glory of God the Father. You got God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three or one, different ways then and different persons of God then interacting with us, unified yet different. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture. Now, if we start thinking about the way in which we then should live, to have that same mindset in us that was in Christ Jesus, let me relate this to kind of outside of the church, because there are ways that people realize that this is true, at least to some extent, outside of the church, outside of the Bible. Let's say that you're sitting there right now saying, I'm not even sure if I trust the Bible. I sure don't know if I believe this whole Jesus is God kind of stuff. Well, let me call time out just for a second and kind of go outside of the church and talk about a story that I read about that illustrates this point that even without having that focus on Jesus, you may realize, wait, maybe there is something to this. Maybe God has created the earth in such a way that we intuitively, even before we realize who Jesus is, we think maybe there's something to this. And the, the story is by Simon Sinek. Some of you have heard of, of him, really cool author right now, helping a lot of different leaders and business, those types of things. Not writing to Christians, not even from a Christian perspective that I'm aware of. You know, at least he doesn't put it right out there. So he's, he was talking with a, a lieutenant in the military. Don't remember which branch, but lieutenant. And um, he had an interaction with a sergeant. Now, if you're a lieutenant, are sergeants allowed to tell you what to do? <laughs> Stupid question, right? <laughs> How does it go, you military folks, when a sergeant tells a lieutenant what to do? You know, not good, right? I mean, it's like, you're, that's insane. Like, you'd have to, like, you know, not care about your career to go up and, you know, get in the face of a lieutenant and tell him what to do. So true story, Simon Sinek was talking with this, this lieutenant and he goes, okay, so I came out of 
you know, this, this background where um, it was something like college, officer training school, so forth. So he comes out, and he's got this status, right? He's a lieutenant. He comes out, and they were in line to get food, and he went to the front of the line because he's the leader, and he's the lieutenant, and in that setting, he was the highest-ranking officer. So, of course, you get to go first. I mean, what good is it having the highest rank unless you have some perks, right? So he goes to the front of the line, and this sergeant who has been with these men and women of the military and have served, has served with them and, you know, kind of a tough, tough guy, right? I mean, you know, he's, he's been there, he's done that, he's risked his life with these folks. He comes up to the lieutenant and he goes, sir, you got to go to the back of the line. Leaders eat last. And the lieutenant, thank the Lord, snapped to his senses and realized, wait, I better trust this guy. This guy has served with these people. And so he goes to the back of the line and he realizes, wait a second, had I stayed in the front of the line, used my power, these folks would have not respected me. Would not have. And he learned something about servant leadership, realizing, wait a second, if I want the respect of other people, I'm going to have to come alongside of them and then even serve from beneath them and show them that I value them and that I want the best for them. Now that's outside of the Bible, outside of the church context, but there's something true in that, isn't there? You realize, wait a second, the universe kind of is created in such a way that the divine imprint of God is there. And then when Jesus then comes and humbles himself, takes on human flesh as the little baby, the most vulnerable that God could become, right? You can drop a baby. How many of you were dropped as a kid, right? (laughs) Yeah, you're like, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. The king of the universe, Becomes the little, I know you'd say, oh, that makes total sense. Would have been nice for you to tell me that years ago. Now I understand you better. The king of the universe, all power, becomes the most vulnerable. You don't do that unless you're really trying to show people that you love them, that you care about them, that you're with them, that, you're, that they are valuable. And those of you that have tried to raise kids, you realize there are times where you just have to say, wait, it's not just about me, it's about we together. So in Philippians chapter 2, it began, this whole chapter began with these words. I kind of jumped into the middle of it, but here was the beginning. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Unless you're really famous or you're a big-time leader or athlete. No, it's not in there. It's not in there. There's not like a little escape clause. Well, that doesn't apply to me. Like, I'm important enough that I don't have to have that same mind as Jesus and I don't have to live like that and be like my... No. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. That's a part of the essence of the whole Christmas story. God does that. I heard a pastor say, the king becomes a carpenter. The king becomes a carpenter. There is nothing wrong with being a carpenter. In fact, in my household, we've talked about that, that you know, learning a trade may be the most smart thing that you could possibly do, right? But at the same time, in the ancient world, kings didn't willingly become carpenters. Because when you're a carpenter, you have to serve others Otherwise, you don't get paid, right? 
Like you have to create something for somebody else. Somebody else has to be able to tell you what to do to survive as a carpenter. The king who could tell everybody what to do becomes the carpenter to say, let me show you what love is like. Let me show you how to live. And, and let me show you what God's love for us is like. That's key, right? God's not staring off from space at you with hatred in his heart, trying to get you to shape up someday. That's not God. How do we know? Because God comes in Jesus and the Son of God to serve us. The king becomes a carpenter and walks with us and talks with us and serves alongside and even dies for us. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So that's the, like the ultimate move for me. Hey, it's all about me. You know, it's all about me. And, and Jesus is like, hey, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself so lowly that I'm going to have to depend on other people to help, you know, with food. And, and you know, sometimes when I'm traveling around, I'm going to have to have somebody else, you know, kind of let me use their guest room. You know, he said, hey, as the Son of Man walks around, you know, hot foxes have holes that they can go to, a little den, a little nice warm place. But I, the Son of Man, I'm traveling around and I... I don't have that. I'm homeless. It's pretty powerful, right? You talk to a homeless person, you say, hey, wait, Jesus gets it. Like, he's, he's been there. Like, you can be just as valuable as everybody else, right? You are. God looks at, that, at you and says, hey, look, it's not about the size of your home or whether you have a home. God says, I care about you. I come to you wherever you are. Then the challenge is, let that mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. Okay, so how are we going to do that? We start trying to think about that. There's certain obstacles, whether it's a, a tough mutter race or whether it's a team building event with your company or maybe in basic training you had to kind of learn how to scale a wall. Some of you have done this, right? You get up there and some hot shot is trying to jump up and, and grab it, you know, just on their own. But if it's like the real deal, like you can't do that, right? You have to depend on other people. So if you're thinking about going from me focus to we focus, at what stage in that kind of journey are you on? And as I was thinking about delivering this message, I really felt like God was telling me, Nathan, make sure that you encourage those that are already doing this. Don't make the whole sermon about, hey, you're a selfish, horrible person, so you need to shape up. Because there are people out there that are going to hear this that are, are selfish and just need to shape up. But there are others that are just beaten down because when you're trying to serve, it's hard. You look at this, the ladies on the left that are down below and they're trying to hold the person there. If they slip or something like that, they're going to eat it in the teeth, aren't they? Like that foot is coming right, right down on them. Like this is a dangerous way to be. And that poor guy on the right, I don't know about you, I want to be the guy up there on the, you know, on the top, the, the blue shirt, you know, and kind of say, hey, come on, I'm good, you know, I don't want to be the guy down on the bottom, right? you know, with the other guy in the middle is trying to climb on top of me and stuff. But we know that when you start serving others and having that mind of Christ and you're serving others, sometimes you're going to get kicked in the teeth, aren't you? Yes or no? Yeah, you sure are. Sometimes it's going to be painful. Sometimes you're going to need some encouragement to know that, hey, Jesus understands. Jesus is there with you. It's worth it. Jesus didn't just get kicked in the teeth. He got beaten with a whip, ripped his flesh, crown of thorns, nailed to a cross, right? So when Jesus says, I understand the pain that you're going through as you serve people, he means it. He gets it. He knows it's hard. He knows people may make fun of you. People were mocking Jesus in front of the big wigs of town, right? 
I mean, this is a horrible, horrible setting in terms of the emotional pain to see other people spitting on him, making fun of him. That's part of the Christmas story too, right? It's Christmas and Easter. If you come to church twice a year, good times to come, right? It's like the whole story of Jesus. I get it, I get it. But you always put those two together because you can't have one without the other. Jesus understands. So maybe you're already down there serving people. You need to be encouraged. But maybe you need to be that person in the middle who, upon coming to the wall right now of your life, you realize, you know, I'm trying to do it all myself. Or I'm trying to use other people for my own benefit. Or I am trying to hide my my authentic self from other people and present to them like this perfect, great person. But I know that deep down, man, I am a mess. And I need to admit that I need help. I need somebody to help me to get up, up over that wall. I need Jesus to help me. And I need to be willing to humble myself and accept the help of other people, perhaps, and realize that, man, I wish I could just do it on my own. But the reality is none of us can do it on our own. We can't live this out on our own. We're, we're, you know, you look at other people, you say, they've got it together. No, they don't. <laughs> they're either faking it or they're honest about it. And the honest ones, you get it. You're like, okay, we're all struggling here. We need Jesus' help. And then we need to help one another. So, trying to go from we, or go from me to we, from me to we, at church, at home, at school, all of it. All of it. If you're at church, you say, wait a second. When I come into this service, or when I come in for a meeting, like, I want to make sure that the temperature is just what I want. I want to make sure the music is just what I want. I want to make sure the sermons are always specifically about me. Not too much about me, <laughs> but you know what I mean. I want to get something out of it. And then when I go to a meeting, you know, it better be run exactly the way I want it run. And then the way that money is spent, I want to make sure it's exactly the way that I want it spent. What's wrong with all of this? Me, right? It's, it's all me focused. On the other hand, I've seen this happen in this church where a family comes in and who knows what the family's been going through and somebody sees them and is like, hey, welcome, uh, who are you? Like, I, I just, I want to be there for you if you want me to. I'll leave you alone if you want me left alone or whatever. But if you want to come sit with me, come sit with me. What, you know, and, and just really caring and, and being like, now wait a second, the person that's doing that, they've got their own stuff. They may have gotten a speeding ticket coming to church Oh, Jesus, please don't let that happen to anybody here, right? But, but maybe that happened, yet when they show up for the meeting or to worship or whatever, they realize it's not about me, it's about we together. So if somebody else is there that I can encourage or that I can bless, I'm going to do that. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And I've seen that happen in this church. It's beautiful, beautiful. Laying down our own selfishness to be able to say, I want to care about other people and help them. At home, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. If you try to outdo each other in doing good, it's another Bible verse that kind of talks about that. Can you outdo each other, showing respect and love, you know? Sometimes, man, it can be the best enrichment of your relationships at home and saying, look, I want to serve you, and I want to serve you, and, and you're, it's not unequal anymore. At school, you're saying it's not just about your own reputation, but it's about being Jesus to other people. Like, dude, I'm not sure I'm up for that because... Jesus might, you know, he might have gotten made fun of, right? And he might have gotten persecuted. I'm not sure I really want that. But Jesus may be pushing you just that next step to say, wait, care about that other person. Or maybe it's even that teacher. You know, that teacher needs you to kind of step up and be a humble servant in some way, shape, or form. You know, what, 
how can we bless other people? In the school setting, um, let's just kind of take a break in this message here. I'm almost done anyway. We're going to be praying about a lot of things, but let's pray for the schools. Had a horrible tragedy this week in Bunsold, and there's a family out there that's, that's hurting, but it's not just one family. It's all these other people that, that care. Let's just kind of pause and go for me. What's in it for me, Lord, in this service to say, what, it's about we. Let's pray for the community. God, we pray for the, the teachers, the counselors, and the workers at Bunsold that they would create an environment of hope in the midst of tragedy. We pray for the Moore family. We pray that you would encourage them in this time. It's just incredible, the worst thing that could ever happen kind of at Christmas time, Lord. And so, Lord, we know that while we're joyful, we also are in pain, and that you are joyful, and yet you also feel the pain. And in this paradoxical kind of place where the scales tip toward hope, we know that on the other side of the scales, there is that, that, that darkness of despair. So God, would you help us to keep leaning into hope, knowing that in the midst of death there's resurrection, and that you, Jesus, understand all that we encounter, all that we are going through, and you meet us there. You humble yourself to meet us wherever we are and to help us through. Help us to take you by the hand. And we pray for everybody that's felt this effect just directly, Lord. Take them by the hand spiritually. Take them by the hand. Be present in their life and with them because we know that you humble yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. So finally, just, just thinking about yourself. As God puts it on your heart, how to serve others and how to go from me to we, I want to encourage you because there is beauty, beauty, beauty in the midst of, of what is going on in the, the craziness of the world. I see that in students. I see it with, with senior citizens. I see it with everybody in between where people are saying, wait, it's not just about me. It's about we together. And this whole next year, we're trying to live out life, caring for one another. The king became the carpenter. So now we go from our selfishness to whatever, it, whatever we need to do for other people, and we serve them, knowing that we're reflecting Christ's love to them. At the end of the service here, as we, as we transition, we're going to have some people come up front that if you want to be prayed for, they will pray with you and encourage you. The band's going to be coming up to be able to, to play some more with us. But um, just kind of think about, at, as you're encountering your own wall to kind of scale, whatever that obstacle is, whatever it is you're trying to get through, which of those people are you? What's God doing in your life? Let me pray for all of us. So God, we love you. We know that you love us more than we can imagine. And so help me to focus in on that, that you love us more than we can ever, ever imagine. And Father, you sent Jesus, the king, to become the baby who grew up to be a carpenter, who then became our savior. If that's the mentality you want in our lives, help us to be able to humble ourselves and serve. And yet in serving to have the power of Jesus flowing into us and, and through us to help other people and to be encouraged when somebody's kind of stepping on us or kind of kicking us in the teeth, Lord. Give us strength and encouragement to be able to make it through. We are overcomers, people of the resurrection, just as Jesus rose from the dead. Be with us now as we continue to pray and worship. Amen. Amen.